1: over the years, I have learned that this love of beauty and this, you know, the fact that beauty really catches my attention. Well, that's something planted in me by God. I mean, God is beautiful and beauty in the world is it's like one of the languages I think God uses to speak to us and to to show himself to us.
2: Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Coppa. You can find out more about the podcast at cultivatingthelovely.com, in our Yellow Brick Road membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely, and in our Facebook group. I would also love to connect with you on Instagram, where you can find me at Mackenzie Coppa. That's M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E K-O-P-P-A. Hey, ladies. Today, I'm on with a really fun new guest who is Probably one of the sweetest people I've ever met you could just tell when you're talking to her oh she's just sweet and kind and that is Christy Purifoy from the new book Placemaker it's a sweet book that is really interesting because it talks about home in all sorts of different settings everything from urban to country and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode and all the things that she has to say about placemaking the book comes out this week too so if you'd like to grab it or really anything else off Amazon it's a great way to support the show if you follow one of our links. And then you could just buy whatever you want off of Amazon and we get a little bit of credit, but it doesn't cost you any more money. So you could check the show notes at boldtruquoise.com slash 107 to find those links and be able to purchase through them. I also want to just do a quick shout out of solidarity to any of you who have been struggling with the late winter... Supposedly early spring, although we are still facing snowstorms here in the Pacific Northwest. But sicknesses, if you have been having sickness, I am right there with you. I have been down for the count quite a few times in the last three weeks, more than I ever thought I would be. So my apologies to those of you who are listeners to the Same Page podcast, which has been a little bit more sporadic lately because I've just been so sick and it's been really hard to record because nobody wants to listen to you when I sound like this. So I am so sorry about that and hopefully things will be running smoothly again very soon. But for now, let's jump into this episode with Christy Purifoy.
1: Welcome, Christy. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you, Mackenzie.
2: I'm so excited to have you on the show because as I was kind of sharing with you before we got started here, as soon as I heard the name of your book, I was like, well, obviously she needs to come on the show because I know your new book is called Placemaker, Cultivating Places of Comfort, Beauty and Peace. And so much of the time, I feel like that is what we are trying to do here with cultivating the lovely like that beauty matters and making place matters and all of those kinds of things so it just felt like a perfect fit to have you on the show and then I realized that your first book has been on my to be read list for quite a while, and so I was like, well, I'm not completely unfamiliar with her. I have been interested in her work before, so it was really fun. Oh, that's fun.
1: wonderful. Yeah. Yes, I think you and I clearly see eye to eye, and I am so excited about our conversation.
2: Yeah, me too. So for people who aren't familiar with who you are, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: I would. Yes, my name is Christy Purifoy, and uh, once upon a time, I was an English professor. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I left the classroom and uh, moved to an old farmhouse, started gardening, started writing. So now I think of myself as uh, a writer, a gardener, but overall a placemaker. And that's what this upcoming book is all about.
2: Yeah, and it's just, it's so beautifully written. It's it's well thought out, even just the way you put like all the information about the trees and the place you guys. Mm-hmm. It's It's one of those books that you just feel... Not only is she talking about creating beautiful spaces, but it's beautiful to read, which is a fun experience. You did a really nice job.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. Honestly, Mackenzie, you could not say uh, anything that would make me happier. I'm oh. a huge, I'm a huge reader myself, and I care a lot about books as, um, you know, as reading experiences, and so I really wanted to give my readers a book that was. Beautiful, beautifully told and inspiring. I was thinking about all the things that inspire me to be someone who cultivates beauty and cultivates loveliness, a placemaker. And you're right, trees, nature, the outdoors, that's where I find my inspiration. So I wanted to somehow capture that and tell those stories and hopefully uh, pass that inspiration on. So I'm so glad to hear that you enjoyed that part.
2: Yeah, I think you absolutely, you you landed on the mark there with what you were trying to do. So I think people are going to love it.
1: Oh, great.
2: But I'd love to back up for a second because you said Uh that you were an English professor, which is so interesting. And I mean, it's very apparent in the book that you guys have lived a lot of places
1: we we have. And just because I'm going to be talking probably a lot today about this old farmhouse where we live now, the stories I'm telling in this book are, yes, they're about this old farmhouse, but they're also about all the different places that we've lived, all the places we've called home, from uh, dorm rooms in college to little apartments uh, to the city. I lived in Chicago for 10 years. So uh, I lived there when I was in graduate school, and when I was first teaching. And we lived in a couple of um, city apartments. We did uh, urban gardening and a, in a community garden in the neighborhood. And so, um, whatever kind of place you're in (laughs) and whether you think you're there forever, or, you know, you're only there for three months, uh, I think there's something for you in this book. So yeah, I've lived in all these places and I've loved all these places. Uh, honestly, you know, I'm at home here uh, in this farmhouse called Maplehurst, but I still miss Chicago. It was a wonderful experience living there for 10 years.
2: Yeah. It was so interesting for me as someone who lived in the country for quite a while and then moved uh-huh. into the heart of our city which is not like chicago i mean <laughs> it's nowhere near chicago but it still was such a a change of experience and and the, the fact that you do talk about how it's like worthwhile to to be a placemaker even if you're there for only a short period of time that just so spoke to what we've been going through for the past you know, year and mm-hmm. a half. And mm-hmm. I personally, because I've experienced kind of both ends of the spectrum, not quite as much as you have, but it was so interesting to me to read, especially about your city dwelling and what that was like and how you talk about like the community aspect of it and kind of being a bee in a hive. Do you want to just talk about the city for a minute? Because yeah, it was so yeah, it, it was.
1: It was like a being a bee in a, in a hive or a tree in a forest. It's yeah. really where I learned. I learned how to be a neighbor. I learned how to depend on other people. I think in my experience before that, living in more suburban contexts, um, you you tend to be a little bit more self you know, yeah. independent, self-reliant, yeah. you kind of take care of yourself. And in a city where you are living, you know, elbow to elbow, and you're taking care of shared spaces, you, you need one another in ways that, um, at least in my experience, I hadn't in other places. And that was such it was a hard, it was that was a hard experience. I'm not saying it was yeah. easy. But it was also beautiful. It was something I missed deeply when we left the city. I missed that kind of constant interaction and that yeah. interdependence and I missed being able to just walk down the stairs and sit out on my front stoop with my kids when I was feeling lonely. And sometimes I would sit out there and just hope that maybe a friend would walk by. And yeah. sometimes a friend would walk by and we could just chat or or one of my neighbors would come by and we could talk. Or I could wander down to the playground and, you know, find another local family. And uh, you know, that's something that really, at least I've only ever experienced in the city. So yeah, yeah, as I'm writing about these different places, I'm thinking about, um, how much God loves places. And I, and I'm trying to figure out like how to see places through his eyes. And you know, that God is, he looks at us through eyes of love. He looks at the places where we live through eyes of love. And so I really wanted to write about the city honestly, well, and this old farmhouse, honestly, but yeah. also through eyes of love because I think that changes how we we live in a place if we've learned to, to love a place, e- even, you know, despite its flaws, right? We love yeah. people in our lives even, even though they're flawed. And I sure. think the same is true for places.
2: Oh, I agree. And I think, I just, I guess I think the part about the city is, incredibly interesting because we hear so much today about how we're lacking in community and we're lacking in that kind of tribal mentality yeah. that was yeah. there for, you know, thousands of years where people were really together and took care of each other and saw each other and people had helped just because they were in closer proximity to each other. And we live in this internet age where we're all kind of disjointed, but we for- and and I think a lot of times we kind of look down on city living like, oh, that's not a like a good place to be for very long. Mm -hmm. Like you need Mm -hmm. your suburban life or you need your, your plot of land. And not that there's anything wrong with those places, just like what you're saying. But I think there's something, there are advantages to the city that I think, especially us as moms and families don't really look at much anymore. Like, Oh wow. That kind of is that thing that still exists today that brings people closer together and just kind of gives you more of a pulse of what's happening in other people's lives that when we oh, live exactly. suburbanly it doesn't that doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, as hard as it has been in some ways for me to move around and to leave, just to, to say goodbye to places that I love, to say goodbye to people I loved and sure. communities I loved, what I have taken with me are these, these lessons and these experiences and this knowledge of what it can be like. Mm-hmm. And because I know what it can be like, I think in these other places, um, like the community where I live now around this old farmhouse, I, I work towards something, I fight for something, I envision something that I'm not sure I would have been able to see if I hadn't had, you know, the experience of of living in, in Chicago or, yeah. uh, or or living in Florida and kind of losing that tight-knit community that we have. Sometimes it's the loss, yeah. ironically, and, hard, you know, it's a hard thing, but sometimes it's the loss that teaches us uh, what really matters and what's important and is can be very clarifying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. So, how many places exactly is it? Because it's not like you just moved around, you know, Illinois. It's like you right, moved right, around no. the whole country. So, how no, so many places I, is it?
1: That's a great question. So, I grew up in Texas, and that's where I uh, went to college, met and married my husband. Uh, after college, we moved to Northern Virginia. We lived there for a couple years. Then we headed to Chicago. We were there for a decade. Okay. Then we moved to Northern Florida. We were there a couple years. And now we call Southeastern Pennsylvania home, not too far from Philadelphia. Wow. So, um, you know, not as many. I, ha- I have uh, a sister who, um, whose family was in the military for a number of years, and so I, she's lived yeah. a lot of places. <laughs> so I don't claim that kind of, uh, you know, constant shifting, but um, I have experienced really different climates, yeah. different landscapes, and some have been easier to love than others, I yeah. will admit. But they have all taught me what it can be to take care of a place, to let your roots sink in, even if you know it's not a forever home. And I think a lot of us We're waiting for some kind of forever. We're waiting for something that we think is completely reliable and permanent before we let ourselves really love and tend a place well. And I hope um, if nothing else, I hope people reading this book will say, you know what? I'm moving in six months, but I'm still going to plant flowers in my front bed or I'm still going to. I'm still going to paint this wall and, you know, it might feel wasteful. It might feel so extravagant. But I think it's, you know, when you talk about cultivating loveliness, it it often looks like a waste, but it's a kind of love. Love is never wasted.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That was actually one of the notes that I had about your book is that I like that you emphasize that it's still worthwhile, even if it doesn't last. Yes. And that you really point out also that beauty is a holy and worthy pur- pursuit like yes. that god is a creator and he created us that way and so for us to think that oh it's just superfluous or you know that it's not it's not something he would honor or consider even almost worshipful that that we need to kind of change our thinking about that how i think yeah how did you come to that place
1: you know, slowly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think for many years. And, uh, you know, I felt that my love of beauty, the the um, the importance it held for me, um, I felt that it was um, something uh, maybe a tiny bit shameful or a, something I had to be just a little bit careful about. Mm. I did think of it as this extra, this... Um, Well, once we've ticked all the boxes and we've been productive and, you know, um, we focused on what's mattered, then if there's time or there's space, then sure, we can let things be beautiful or we can cultivate what's beautiful. But, goodness, I'm in my 40s now and over the years I have learned that this love of beauty and this, you know, the fact that beauty really catches my attention, well, that's something planted in me by God. I mean God is beautiful and beauty in the world is it's like one of the languages I think God uses to speak to us yeah. and to to show himself to us. Oh, I just think how you know how sad for him to be like splashing the sky with these gorgeous sunsets and then to have his people say like, well, that's nice. But, you know, there are other things that matter more. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's not. Maybe, you know, maybe the sunset. I, I saw this gorgeous sunset this morning, so it's on my <sighs> mind. But, you know, maybe that's one of the most maybe that's the most important thing about today was just this morning sunset. And and what would it be to think like that's enough? Because I had that moment of 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 seeing God in that sunset and of thanking him and yeah so but yeah it it has definitely been a process because <laughs> it's not something I think that our culture e- even maybe especially our our um our church cultures necessarily um put a put an emphasis on we tend to be just a little bit more utilitarian and yeah. um a little more practical and um and forget how much beauty matters.
2: Yeah, I think especially in just the way the church is today. I mean, we see this more in older cathedrals and that sort of thing mm-hmm. obviously like art and beauty mattered, but over the years it's somehow become like, oh, that's just you know, extra, that's not something we should be spending our time on because there are, are more noble pursuits. But, but I think that the earlier church fathers really kind of maybe had more of a grasp on like, no, God was a creator and he appreciates beauty.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, that's another aspect of writing this book, because I was really going back and looking at the history of, of certain places, the history of my own mm-hmm. old house and my community in particular and i think when we pay attention to the past and what fa- how faithful people have tended places in the past mm-hmm. then that can be you know cuz beauty endures beauty lasts it beauty inspires people to preserve it and take yeah. care of it and um uh, you know and that's a legacy i think we can receive from uh placemakers who've gone before. And it was a lot of fun to write stories of, of placemakers who've shaped the places that, that I have called home. Placemakers who shaped the city or shaped the parks or yeah. um, built this, this red brick house where I live now.
2: Well, I loved even the things that you said about your dad. I think so much yeah. of the time we think of it as a female pursuit but you really pointed out the way that your dad had been a placemaker i think it was your dad if i'm remembering right yeah that's right <laughs> yeah. and i loved um i just want to read this quote from your book i mean it's just right in the beginning but you talk about what place making is and you say it's deliberately sending your roots deep into a place like a tree it means allowing yourself to be nourished by a place even as you shape it for the better it is a creative work for men and women it is possible whether you're employed outside your home or within it unlike hospitality it is sometimes solitary and sometimes communal it is work for introverts like yourself and extroverts like your husband I just thought all of that was so interesting because it breaks down that you don't have to be, you know, a stay-at-home homemaking mom to be a placemaker. Like, there (laughs) is placemaking in all of us ladies this week butcher box is back sponsoring the podcast and we always really love when butcher box is sponsoring the podcast in my house because when that box shows up at our doorstep not only is it incredibly convenient because i don't have to go to the neighborhood butcher or the grocery store to get our meat but i have it delivered straight to our door and it's full of high quality healthy protein 100% grass fed and finished, free range organic chicken, heritage breed pork, and their steaks are amazing. Oh my goodness, we just had a couple of their ribeyes over the weekend and they were so flavorful and juicy. Oh, they were just so good. They've got an amazing selection. It's easy to order either one of their curated boxes or customize a box of your own. And you don't have to worry about antibiotics or hormones or poorly fed animals or any of that kind of thing. You're just getting high quality meat from humanely raised open pasture animals that are never fed any of the junk. This month, ButcherBox is offering finely ground beef that's clean and delicious and is taken from the most flavorful sections of the animal. The beef consists of trimmings from the sirloin and chuck, which makes it so versatile. It cooks fast, so it's perfect for quick weeknight dinners. Right now, new members will get two pounds of this delicious ground beef for free in every box for the life of your subscription. This was ButcherBox's most popular offer last year, and they're bringing it back for a limited time only. And for listeners of my show, you can get $20 off your first box and that 2 pounds of free ground beef in every box for the life of your subscription if you just go to butcherbox.com lovely or enter the promo code lovely. Again, that's $20 off your first box and 2 pounds of free ground beef in every box for the life of your subscription by just going to butcherbox.com lovely
1: or entering the promo code lovely at checkout. And, you know, it was a surprise to me, um, actually, as I sat down to write and to try to tr- kind of literally trace back to the roots of, of my own um, uh, Fascination and, and interest in placemaking to realize that it did begin with my dad. Yeah, uh, you know he was he was a gardener and he was uh, he is someone who loves beauty, and um th- that was a legacy I received from him and it it surprised me but I don't think it should have because I'm also yeah. married to someone who has been my partner in caring for these places, caring for these homes. Um he tends to do more of the heavy lifting than I do in yeah. the power tools but that's that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> um yeah and you know that. I think that's also something I really hope for this book is that, um, and, and you know, and it's one reason why originally I came up with the term placemaker is because some people might think, well, aren't you just talking about homemaking? Mm. And and I am in a way. I think homemaking is, is is a part of it. And we can certainly use that term. But I think we'll also recognize that homemaking has um, tended to be gendered. Like we think mm-hmm. of that as something that women do. Yeah. And and maybe also it makes it just a little bit smaller in the sense that we think about what happens within the four walls of the home. And I'm also yeah. talking about, well, I'm not just talking about the garden, but I'm talking about community gardens. I'm talking about city neighborhoods. I'm talking about shared spaces. And so that's a little bit bigger or different from just homemaking um, yeah. in the way that we tend to think of it. So, yeah, I needed a bigger word, but one that might immediately um, – Communicate this thing I'm talking about and placemaking. Yeah, yeah, I think it. I think it does a trick.
2: I think it absolutely does, and I completely agree with what you're saying. One of the tenets we actually are working on this year in the cultivating lovely Patreon community is investing in atmosphere. And I just did a mm-hmm. deep dive on it with them, and because some people were saying like, "What is it you're talking about?" And I kind of said exactly what you just said. Like, it's not just about. Your home or within these four walls that we're doing this. I'm talking about whatever, whatever places that you inhabit, whatever spaces you're in that you make those spaces have an atmosphere that makes you feel welcome. And, you know, you bring in the attitude that you would want into that atmosphere. And whether it's in your car or in your house or your yard or, you know, wherever that we think of it in bigger ways than or I said, even like if you have a job, if it's at your your desk at your work, you know, like we can have spaces that that we, you know, put some purpose into.
1: Yes. Oh, I think atmosphere is such a great word for that. And I think I'm going to use that again. (laughs) But I I think maybe that's one thing I was trying to capture when I talk about, you know, creating or cultivating places of peace. You know, peace is something we... We sense, we feel, but it can be hard to define, hard to put our finger on. Mm-hmm. And um, but I think atmosphere is another way of getting out. Like, what are, what does it feel like when you're in a place where you know, hey, the peace of God is here in this place? Yeah. And and what can we do practically, um, and imaginatively to welcome? God's peace in, in, in our places. And, oh, I think you're absolutely right to think about that might be my, my desk in a cubicle. Like that's yeah. a, that's a place. And that could even be a sacred place, honestly. I mean, yeah. light a candle, pull out your Bible yes. for a few minutes and, and you're in a sacred place. So absolutely. give it the, the attention that, um, even our, our cathedral spaces uh, deserve and, yeah. and think of it that way.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's worth it because it's a place that, that you are. And, and, Just like you say about, you know, even if it's just three months, like, well, why waste those three months on not having that peace in that place? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: it's imperfect. It's a process. I'm even thinking right now, I don't know if you can hear this coming through on my mic, but (laughs) we are uh, reconstructing our driveway and it's happening today and there are heavy trucks out there dumping gravel. And I'm in my little third floor office and I can feel the house oh. shaking. <laughs> the windows are actually buzzing and rattling. Oh, oh my, my goodness. goodness. It's uh try not to be distracted by it, but hopefully it's not it's not coming through on the sound, but it is actually reminding me that this is complicated. This isn't yeah. easy work I'm talking about. You know, it involves our, our whole selves, it involves our whole hearts. Um, it's a spiritual endeavor, and so of course it will be um it'll stretch us. And uh, yeah, so one of the the promises I think I make in the book is that placemaking is a worthy, worthy thing, but it is not an easy thing. And quite possibly it will break your heart (laughs) in in ways that, you know, you can only begin to imagine. And and that's definitely been a part of my story as well. But and yet at the end of it all, I say uh, it's worthwhile.
2: Yeah. And it's It's not always going to look perfect. You know, I think that some people get caught up in, well, I have to just spend all this money in order for this to happen or or I have a rental. I mean, I know you talk about that in the book, like renting spaces Mm -hmm. versus owning spaces and that it's not necessarily going to be picturesque all the time, but there are little things that you can do to transform and still have that placemaking part of it.
1: Exactly. You know, and it's it's as little as lighting a candle. It's also as little as just noticing sometimes what's al- already there. And that's yeah. why I write so much in the book about trees and nature and what's really going on outside our windows in the forest and in the parks and in our yards and gardens. Because um, I think, you know, one thing that's important to this placemaking is just having eyes to see, having eyes that are open, eyes that notice the tree outside our window and, and eyes, you know minds and hearts that are curious, you know, want to know, hey, what is the name of that tree and 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 what kind of fruit is that that it's putting out in September or you know, things like that. And so I hope um yeah, I hope this book and my stories and especially the writing about trees um feeds that curiosity. I, you know, yeah. we live in different places. There's different trees outside our windows, but there is something special about the place where you live. And maybe maybe it's not inside your four walls. Maybe it's right outside of them. Maybe it's something that you you didn't plant, you don't tend, but it's just a gift given. Um, but, you know, we need to open our eyes and, and see what's there sometimes.
2: So like you were talking about just a few minutes ago about you really learn the history of the places that you were at, do you think that even that discovery and that you know time spent learning about the places, do you think that has also been an aspect of placemaking for you that makes you feel more grounded in them?
1: Oh, absolutely. Because I think a place is not just about what's happening today, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, places have been shaped by time and history and the people who've gone before. And to ignore that or not see that, um, is to miss most of what makes a place a place, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. you know, we can think about special places that, you know, places that are special to us, and often what's special about them are the things that happen there or the things we experience there, mm-hmm. and and so I think another way of loving a place and tending a place is paying attention to the history of that place and the the stories that have um, their roots in that place, and then telling those stories. Yeah. That's one way I think that we help others to, to love places to pass on the stories. So that was really fun to do as I wrote this book was to think about the stories that live in certain places yeah. and pass and pass them on.
2: Yeah. Oh, I bet. So did you find like actual information about your old farmhouse?
1: I did. And I, I even found some some pictures um, someone had posted on Ancestry.com oh, of wow. the, the farmer and his family who built this house. I Have even visited. They they're um, uh, Pennsylvania Quakers, and they are buried in the the Friends Meeting House, the Quaker Meeting House, just five minutes away. And so I went and visited their graves, and I've got their pictures now hanging on the wall.
2: Oh, fun!
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So that was so much fun to to learn about.
2: What a neat thing! I mean, I'm sure they would never have dreamed that that would be the case, that their legacy would. Carry on in this home, right?
1: Well, you know what, Mackenzie, I think that's exactly it, right? When when I look back and I realize that this family built this home and made these made these decisions without ever thinking about me and my family, yeah, um, then it it helps helps me remember the things I'm doing today that I might think are so small or so insignificant. I don't even know um, how deep the roots will go. I don't even know how many people might be affected yeah. by the care I'm taking over this home or this place or this garden or or this neighborhood school or whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? That, you know, whatever place that we're taking care of. And so um, it, it was like, I needed that proof that it that this matters because what the Hughes family, Mark Hughes who built this house that where, you know, where I live now, what he did matters. The care he took in building this solid brick house matters and is blessing me today. And that helped, That helps me realize like, Oh, these things that again, we get back to the beauty. These things that I think are just extra or, you know, uh, you know, ephemeral or something, um, they can have a real impact in people's lives.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Things that you don't even see so much farther down the line. That's, I love the thought of that, that we're, we're impacting generations when we do that.
1: Exactly. Yes.
2: That's so fun. So, you know, you used to be a professor and now you are an author. Has that been impacted mostly by your places? Cuz I it, remind me again, isn't it Roots and Sky is your first book?
1: That's right. And that book is about our our first year in this old farmhouse. The first four seasons we spent in this farmhouse, Maplehurst. Yes, I
2: was thinking it had to do with place as well. So what became that transition for you where I mean, obviously, place has had a big impact on your writing. All of your published work has, Mm -hmm. has been about that. How did that come about that you ended up transitioning to be an author?
1: Yeah, you know, the truth is, I never saw myself as a writer before. I saw myself as a reader, as a Mm. teacher, but not as a writer. And I think it's because I loved books and I loved literature so much. I just never, it never occurred to me that I could create something like that. I just assumed that was for other people, right? (laughs) That was for real artists or people with real talent. And I, I just never occurred to me to try, but you're right. Living in these places and being shaped by them and being so moved by the beauty of them. I think that's what it was is, you know, I'm moved by the beauty of the seasons, moved by the beauty of, of, um, green grass and growing trees and flowers. And when you're moved in that way, um, it does spur you to try to make something of it, to make meaning of it or to, you know, kind of yeah. put the pieces together in a, in a picture. And so I started uh, journeying a little, journaling a little bit more. I started blogging. And it was really through that experience of just writing down very humbly the things I was seeing that um, caused me to realize, oh, actually, I, I do love this writing thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I, maybe I want to keep keep going with this and discovering actually that it was much more satisfying than the kind of acad- more dry academic writing that oh, I've been doing. Um, so it really was. It was the places where I was living, the things I was seeing, and and so that's also why I write um, nonfiction, memoir, creative nonfiction. Is I'm just so overwhelmed in a good way by what my eyes can see, like the raw material of the real world and my actual life. I'm so um, inspired by that. And and there's so much, I think, in that, that I don't have any space to, you know, I, I don't think I could ever be a fiction writer. I don't have space to go make up new worlds because I'm so astonished by this actual world.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I have to say, I think that your third book should be a picture book of your place because just oh, I was looking yeah. at your Instagram yesterday and just going through all the different seasons. It was like, oh my goodness, you could just get lost watching through all your highlights from the different seasons and everything. It's just beautiful.
1: Oh, I love that you said that. And uh, yeah, maybe so. <laughs>
2: yeah. Put that out there. I think that's what it should be because it would be fun to actually I mean the words are so beautiful but then to have just like a, a picture book would be I would I would use that as a coffee table book look at this beautiful yeah, place. I
1: you know I don't think of myself as a real photographer I don't I don't know enough to to call myself that I don't have that technical knowledge but man I am grateful for iPhones and Instagram because yeah. it's just become one other way to to capture the beauty and also I think of it too especially my Instagram account um as a another way of showing hospitality. I mean, I can't invite, we have a lot of guests here, but I can't invite everyone. You know, we don't have room for the whole world, right? And yet through Instagram, I can open the door a little bit wider. I can invite people in through those images and through my words. Um, And so I do think of it as another way of kind of putting out the the welcome mat and saying, um, you know, you're welcome here. And so that, yeah, that's how I look at, um, at Instagram really is just one more place where I can be hospitable and welcoming.
2: I think that's a great way to think about it and especially even in regards to like you're you're teaching us about what placemaking is and then your Instagram really gets to show people and it's it's kind of for those visual learners out there. So you yeah. should really have Christy's Instagram open next to you while you're reading the book. Then you could get a really full picture of what's going on because it's super yeah,
1: fun. Yeah, I am so glad you mentioned that. It's I love it. I've had I get quite a few messages from on you know someone. Find me on Instagram, and they'll say, you know, I'm reading your book, Roots and Sky, and I just, I just wondered what it looked like, and I wondered what if this was really the house on the cover, which it it is, Um, and then I thought, well, let me just see if she's on Instagram, and then I found you, and now I'm looking at all these pictures of the book come to life, and I'm so happy, and I thought, oh, that just makes me so happy as a reader myself because I know, I mean, how many, how often have I been reading something and thought okay, I think I'm picturing it, but I just wish I could see the real thing. Right. You know, even a fictional house like Anne of green Gables, like we, we want to see the real house with the green Gables. Right. (laughs) Yeah,
2: absolutely. It's why they still have, you know, for the, um, little house. Yes. All the little house books. Like you can go to the places they've created, you know, it's people want that tangible, experience I in a different way even my best friend lives in Arkansas and we would see each other back and forth on video like because we use Marco Polo to talk a lot of the time but the first time I actually visited her house it it was so different because on Marco Polo it flips the images so everything was backwards (gasps) so when we I actually got there it was like oh I I think I know where everything is just from having seen it in the background, except everything's backwards. So I really had to get my bearings. But now, because I've been there, I've seen it, I've experienced it. I, When I talk with her, it's like, oh, I know where she is. I, I'm able to place where she is, even when she's driving or whatever. It's like, oh, I know you're on the Charleston cutoff because your phone just shorted out or whatever. Yes. And there's something about that, like even though she's still so far away, that familiarity I have with her place makes me feel more like connected to where she's at and I think even just the pictures that you have on your Instagram it can make people feel more connected to this thing that they're reading about just like you were saying
1: yeah you know isn't that just proof right there of how important places are that when we love someone or we want to we want to really be connected to them it matters where they are yeah Um, yeah yeah oh I love that it's
2: fun to experience all right. I think that kind of wraps up that what I wanted to ask you about your book, but I do have a few other questions for you.
1: Absolutely. Looking forward to it.
2: So what does a t- typical day in your life look like?
1: Okay. A typical day. Well, I have four kids, so it begins with some, some noise and chaos (laughs) of breakfast and getting everyone off to school. If we're talking about a a school day and then I, I am a morning person and I, as soon as the house quiets down again, I get my second cup of coffee and I try to sit and have some, just some, quiet time a little bit of reading time prayer time and and just um soak in the quiet for a few minutes and then I'll get to work I'll do you know some writing and computer work but I try my I- ideal day is just half a day of that kind of sit down work and then after lunch to get outside nice. and I'm a big gardener I've got chickens outside to take care of sometimes I've got a flock of ducks out there too and so just wow. to be outside to be around the animals to be um just mucking about in the garden or if it's winter, I'll, I'll head down to the basement. I've got some, uh, lights down there where I can start seeds. So it's, oh, it's so important to me to get my, uh, maybe literally get my hands in the yeah. dirt a little bit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, to sort of make something or do something. And then, then I'll be ready to welcome my kids home from school and, and move into, you know, homework and dinner and yeah. all the rest. But, but I'm a homebody. So my days are mostly spent at home.
2: Well, and how fun that, you know, you say you do the sit down work for the first half of your day, but you can kind of get away with saying that all that other stuff is work because you write about home.
1: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, totally,
2: totally counts. Okay, so how are you currently cultivating loveliness in your life?
1: Okay. Well, as we are talking, it's uh, it's cold. It's wintry, so yeah. I'm not I'm not doing the outside gardening. But you know what I'm doing? I think of this as my my dreaming season. So I am reading seed catalogs. I'm making notes about uh, flowers I want to start this spring. I've got an idea for a new garden space. So I'm just kind of sitting with that and reading some gardening books. So this is a time of, in a way, it's hibernating. Yeah, <laughs> which which also can feel really unproductive, right? But I think that kind of quiet, uh, contemplative hibernation time is really important if we're going to be active later on. So this is, yeah, this is the, this is the dreaming season.
2: Yeah. I love that. I'm a, a big visionary person and dreamer. And I always feel like if I haven't put in that work on the front end of really just thinking about all this stuff, then there's no way that I can make my feet hit the ground because I have to have had all that other stuff figured out first.
1: Right. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing these days.
2: Well, it's a good season for that. It's it also is a good season. I like kind of the term hi- hibernating because I've just been so cold all the time. lately. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I just need to like hunker down and get warm and I'll do the outside stuff later.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I think going with those rhythms is important. Like the weather yeah. is saying slow, slow down and rest. And yeah. I think let's let's pay attention to that
2: yeah I think that's a fabulous point and I'm going to carry that into my week <laughs> okay the way that I am currently cultivating loveliness is when we are recording this it's actually the first week of January and I just started doing a morning show again. This is something that I did I started four years ago and I did for a while on Periscope and then I I did it for actually about a year and then the podcast kinda took over and a lot of life stuff was happening, but it just felt like the right season again to give it a go and I was a little bit leery because it's a commitment having to get up earlier and be ready to you know, talk with people first thing in the morning, And, but I'm just loving it. I'm still trying to get the schedule worked out so I'm getting enough sleep, but yeah. it reminds me, like I'm an extrovert, and how much just having that interaction with people first thing in the morning is an energy boost for me, and it's... Just so much fun! I'm loving it so far. So we'll see if it uh, that's sticks. So, that's but it's so fun.
1: interesting. Yeah, and it's so good to just listen to our ourselves, right? Like I find that I really need quiet in the morning, and yeah. it's clear that you need some interaction and some conversation and some yeah to to have the energy. So yeah, we're, we're also different, but we're also. Well-made.
2: Yeah, and it was something I didn't even realize until a couple of years ago. I think it was my best friend who pointed out to me, like, I remember watching you on the morning show. That's how we actually met and connected for the first time. And she said, you... Were so productive, <laughs> like when you were doing the morning show because mm. it really got your day going, and I hadn't even really put my finger on that at the time, but now, like jumping back into it again, it's like, oh, yeah, it really did like i I gave myself less excuses and less like i I was able to to be more productive during that season. So I think it's a good time. we'll see we'll see how it goes and carries out. But yeah, it's fun.
1: Oh, I wish you well with that. thank
2: you, okay. So here's the stock questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Candles or essential oil diffuser?
1: Oh, is can I say both? Yes. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me say this. In the winter, candles. In the summer, essential oil diffuser.
2: All right. I will take that. No one else has ever answered that. I think that's a good distinction. <laughs> okay. Cloth napkins or paper? Cloth. All right. City or country?
1: Oh... Uh... <laughs> Country. I'll, a, I'll I'll okay. Yeah, I'll I'll show allegiance to my current home. Country. All
2: right. <laughs> I thought you're probably the most interesting person that I've had to ask that question of. <laughs> okay, paper or digital? Paper. Okay. Shopping. Would you rather do it online or in the store?
1: Online. <laughs>
2: all right. It's more convenient in the country for sure. I know exactly. All about that. Okay. It's four o'clock or whatever time you're making dinner, and you need a mental break. Do you listen to a podcast or music?
1: music actually
2: okay and what is some of your favorite music to listen to for that
1: oh I love uh, my kids call it sad music <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love anything sort of moody and melancholy I've been listening to the Grey Havens I've been listening to Novo Amor and then always classical I, I'm always a fan of classical music
2: okay chocolate milk or dark dark all right sports or no sports
1: no sports. <laughs>
2: All right. Live broadcasting. Would you rather broadcast or watch?
1: Oh, watch.
2: Okay. Favorite movie?
1: Oh, I love old Hitchcock movies. I'm okay. a big mystery person. Yeah.
2: Oh, fun. Okay. If you were to put yourself on the crunchiness spectrum, like how natural you are, where zero is totally not crunchy and 10 is singing kumbaya by the fire with your legs unshaven and dreadlocks in your hair, where would you be on the spectrum?
1: I would say seven. I do brew my own kombucha tea. so That definitely qualifies you.
2: Yep. (laughs) I like that answer. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me this morning. It was great to hear about your book more from actually from you and hear about those places a little bit more. And I look forward to finishing reading it because it's just been so lovely so far.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Mackenzie. You have been a lot of fun to talk with and okay. I could just, I don't know, I wish we could have a few more conversations. I can I tell that we have a lot in common. Yeah, well, so thank you. Well, maybe we will have
2: to sometime. That would be fun. I'd love that. All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you the sweetest,
2: right? Didn't I tell you she is just so sweet. And I think you guys will really enjoy her book came out yesterday. So be sure to hop over and add it to your cart on Amazon. I'm sure she would greatly appreciate it. And then when you're done reading, if you want to give her a little bit more solidarity, leave her a review on Amazon. That is a huge thing for authors. And it's one great way that we can show our support to them is leaving them reviews and helping to boost their books in the rating system within those websites. And hey, as long as you're rating things, like maybe you should just hop over to iTunes and rate this podcast too. That would be wonderful if you would do that. In fact, if you want to rate both my podcasts, The Same Page and Cultivating the Lovely, I could just kiss you, although you wouldn't want me to because I'm super sick right now. But I would so appreciate it. It really helps with all of iTunes algorithms and everything to keep the podcast high in the ratings. So thank you to all of you who take the time to leave that quick and simple rating and review in either iTunes or the iTunes podcast app. All right, ladies, I think that's going to do it for this week. Of course, as always, I should say you can come over and join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely. That's like the in community to be in in this. You know, if you're a follower of cultivating the lovely, that's where you get like the juicy tidbits. But honestly, I have just been so sick lately. I'm just sort of trying to survive. And those girls are getting like the brunt realness of my life right now. So thank you. If you are a Patreon subscriber and patron and just there for me, awesome woman. I am so grateful to you. So many of you have just shown me so much support and grace lately that I couldn't be doing this without you. So thank you so much, ladies. And if you want to become a part of that awesome tribe, then come join us. We would love to have you. But okay, that really is it for now. So until next week, go be bold and gracious.